0: Hey everyone, Emil here with some quick pre-show announcements. Nils is on vacation, meaning I have the whole podcast to myself. Just kidding, he will still be heard on this one. But with the pre-recording going on we also wanted to try a new editing style, to make episodes a bit shorter, more coherent and simply better. Let us know what you think of this style, we have a lot to improve but are trying our best to give you the best content we can provide. When Eels comes back from vacation we will start right into some more changes to the format we use. And I do know, don't worry, we will still be the chaotic idiots you love. We are also excited to have new guests on the show in the future again. The pre-recording made that a little bit impossible to us. So now I have talked for long enough, so enjoy the intro and after that the discussion on improv. what's up welcome to the 23rd episode of double dm podcast where i emil and niels my lovely
1: co-host hello talk about what is today's topic again i think it was improv yeah it was improv
0: man we're improvising this session today
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah we do
0: like how are you feeling how is how is
1: today for you i'm good we are preparing for my vacation so it's mm. a little scrambled. But yeah, it was all good. I had a session yesterday oh. with my buff half-oni wizard. Oh, tell me about that. How was that? Yeah, the, in the first session, we were attacked by some sort of airship dropping bombs on us, which is unusual because it was a sailing ship, but flying. And we need to alert different temples around the continent. And for that, we got or had to get a crown of dreams, Was it uh, It was called, Ooh. Uh, with which we could cast the dream spell once per day to alert other temple guardians we did that in the last session it was a pretty rp heavy session oh, and then wandered through the mountains to get to the next village nearly falling to death because of stupid breaking rocks we landed in a cave wandered through that a bit and left on a cliffhanger where we sit right or stand right in front of a dao some sort of earth gin type of thing
0: that sounds interesting yeah that sounds like a really cool session like with an airship dropping bombs
1: (laughs) yeah it, it was weird it was some sort of galleon i mean the thing is
0: if you have an airship right yeah like ships still sail to like there are enough sailing ships out there that sail with wind an airship you would think doesn't need a sail but yeah it could still use because wind is also probably also at that altitude
1: yeah definitely
0: and if you own then you only need levitation magic maybe in that world levitation magic is easier to procure than real flying yeah especially for something like such a large large body which would be very interesting to actually have in your world like you have an airship right those things are known in D, thanks to aberon but now think about this this airship can only levitate and ha- has some modification of the levitate spell but basically still only moves because of wind current and you would still need sailors yeah on that ship to actually man the sails
1: yeah i'm interested where this is going it is it will be fun i think
0: this is actually a very interesting idea because normally airships are always thought to be just flying ships Though they they wouldn't need sails if they can fly freely, Mm -hmm. but if they can only levitate. If you think about it, the water is just levitating the boat. Yeah, that's all it is. That's that's nothing to fault. Yeah, I like that.
1: That more or less was the big event in my week. Okay, I bet you have something you want to talk about too.
0: Yeah. I, because we're pre-recording, just had on Saturday, this week, I had the big Call of Cthulhu Excursions into Madness Session 1 on stream. It was... Yeah. Well, it was a lot of things. It was a lot of technical problems. It was the day of the Germany-Portugal match in the Euro Cup, mm-hmm. which also meant that I, as a German, who more or less wanted to see this match, was... Not I wasn't distracted from the game, right? But I had the game open and always looked over to the game because I definitely wanted to see the match. But I also wanted to pay attention to the game. And I think I paid more attention to the game we were playing because it was way more interesting than the match, even though the match was a banger. But I think especially my co-players, uh, Cody Garrett Wells and josh from check these out we three had amazing play already we we were playing a good game with our dm duck from nerdy excursions we had a very good group sadly hope for ttrpgs wasn't there that was very sad because hope was feeling sick Mm. and since it was also the first session a lot of testing and prologue of the game that was fine and we still had a very cool two and a half hour session that went really well we had some fun interesting information handed to us a mystery already and some cool introductionary combat you could say plus some very cool role play at the beginning have you have you watched this already
1: yeah i have watched the vod for breakfast yesterday
0: oh so tell me what was the experience for you
1: i like the setting thing with the 1920s 30s ish Thing, the music that it isn't taking place in neither north america nor europe during that time
0: i will say that this is just the prologue in peru yeah and we will probably play on different continents and if you've seen the promo poster for it you know that we will be probably in japan at some point because there are japanese symbols on it and we already talked about being on different continents in Asia, Europe, and
1: wherever. Yeah, but I like that the start isn't that stereotypical Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, we are in Great Britain or in 1920s New York or stuff like that. It was a little turn on the head, but in a good way. And I like it that introducing that um, cast of characters in the prologue that you did or that Doug did. it was It was fun. And the combat thing, if you want to call it a full-out combat, was interesting as well i like the idea which he had using this specific type of thing i don't want to spoil anything so i'm using thing a lot sorry about that but yeah
0: you can say that was pretty horrifying what you saw you bet your ass it was it was great it was exactly what i wanted to see out of a color cthulhu game because i've never played i've planned to play for like two years already and now i finally get the chance as a player and i think I did a lot of things. <laughs> I don't want to praise myself because I hate praising myself. But we all did a lot of things right with our characters in that session. We had a doctor who yeah. instantly tended to the, uh, to the wounded. We had an author who basically looked for the information. And we had the soldier, who was me, who basically took after the creature that attacked. So every one of us played a different part in that instance.
1: Yeah, but still kind of working together but still not because you all did different Mm -hmm. things but it all followed the same goal kind of it was it was fun i definitely advise everyone listening to watch this
0: yeah it's also gonna be available as a podcast probably already is when this episode airs but it's also podcast form which might be better for some people because we can probably trim that session down at least around half an hour i think can duck do that so only probably two one and a half one and a half to two hours listening time which is okay cool yeah, listen to it, watch it. Dark is an amazing DM. So if you ever get the chance to even play with him, take that chance. I can guarantee you that is something you should take as a chance. That's amazing. He's he's very good. Yeah, it sounded um, like
1: fun. But it all it also came from the different players. You all work together well, build up of each other's role play and stuff. It was good. I love it. So how is the weather to put it simply I feel like an fucking ice cube in a desert just melting away
0: it's today is not that strong it's only 21 degrees celsius outside
1: but the last four to five days it's always been above
0: 30 30, yeah
1: i think we hit the peak yeah i think we hit the peak last friday with 37 point something degrees celsius point
0: eight it was
1: yeah it was oh damn it was just so hot like The the big problem for me with this weather is
0: I can't really start sleeping. Like, I have Mm. a different, difficult time falling asleep in this heat, but as soon as I'm sleeping, I'm down for the count. It will not wake me up for, like, six or seven hours straight when when I'm asleep in this heat, but falling asleep is
1: so much harder for me. Yeah, you need a lot, or I need a lot more time as well. I'm glad I have some sort of ventilator next to my bed. Mm. It helps, but the noise is distracting again, so yeah i mean i
0: I sleep with an open window right but like
1: yeah but even if it's 1 a.m the air was still i think 26 or 27 degrees
0: it was still it was still very very hot
1: it was still it it was colder than in noon but yeah, yeah still hot but that's basically the weather description for me
0: yeah same it's just hot so With the Witcher campaign, I'm doing a whole lot more improv than I normally do with my campaigns. I think that's because or how I wanted the campaign to be. I wanted it to be way more player-centric because we have so few players. Um, Like we talked about in the last episode, player composition, right? Yeah. I have very few players in that campaign like three, and that allows me way more to make stories that are way more player-centric because there's no one left out. Yeah. And that way I can do a lot more improv because I know for a fact that you guys all have the same goal to meet. Like, in other campaigns, they have the goal to stop the cult of Tiamat from resurrecting Tiamat. But their ways to get there are heavily different. You three in that campaign all have the same way to get there. Yeah. Because of why you're so few players, you have to work together more in the setting. So I think... And then that's the reason why I do more improv with you guys. Because I, for a fact, don't have the problem of having to really improv everything because i know for a fact that you will follow the hints i give you because they are the only ones you will get exactly and you guys know that um yeah so this is why i do a lot of improv i improvise basically everything in that campaign except for descriptions i describe to you how the npc looks or the place you're going to looks the scenes Everything else is probably improvised. I have the information that that NPC can give you, but aside from that, it's purely improv. That NPC has a name, he has a certain way he he looks, he has the information he can give you, but that's it. There is nothing more. I have the stat blocks prepared for the monsters you will fight and basically that's it. I don't know what you're gonna do with the information that I give you, And I also don't plan. I plan the sessions basically only two days before we actually play. Mm -hmm. And that is only with the information that I have from you guys saying where you will want to go when the last session ended.
1: And trust me, we don't know what to do with the information either when we get this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, obviously not. (laughs) Yeah, um, yeah, it's, it's just the
0: usual. But no player knows what they are supposed to do with the information given. Exactly. But that's the fun of improv. That's the fun you have of improv because you, as the DM, can't predict what your players want to do with that information, and players don't know what the DM wants you to do with that information. Sometimes it's very clear. Like, okay, this person has been taken hostage, and there is more or less one logical explanation. The DM mostly wants you to go, and depending on the campaign you are, yeah. but normally it's have something to do with that hostage not ignoring it but i have a campaign right now the phantoms of chaos one where my players i've told them beforehand this world you're in is evolving this world you're in is big you are not supposed to solve every problem for anybody like they have this uh, mass murderer running three around the land right now mm-hmm. that is something that i totally improvised no. i i never plan. I, I just put this there as a potential story hook for later because i, th- I have a point where i can use that character and i thought it would be good to now put it in and my players have been discussing for three sessions straight if they should ever follow this guy or try to find them they don't know they don't have any information one of them wants to stop him wants to stop that mass murderer because they're a paladin Uh. the other one says hey it's way too dangerous to go after a mass murderer psychopath for us Why would we do that? That is improv because I didn't give them the information that they have to go after them or that they should not go after them. I only gave them the information that they are there. And now my players are improvising what their characters would do in that situation with that information and acting upon that information with their character.
1: Yeah, and regarding all that, you told us that you don't really plan that much in the Witcher campaign now. But in your usual, for example, D&D campaigns, which you mostly play, is there some sort of difference between how much you plan and how much you improv? Some sort of ratio, maybe? or?
0: Um, I think a ratio is hard, yeah. because ratios are always hard. <laughs> no, uh, the problem is... I, it, it depends on the type of session we play. The Witcher campaign, I, every session is more or less structured the same way. Um, or at least I have it planned the same way. That it will go, like, you going to scene A, finding information, going to scene B. You're supposed, you, you guys, I, uh, I think you, yeah. you've noticed so far, are supposed to solve a mystery over this campaign. a, a mystery of why people transform into monsters. Yeah. That have no weird connection to those monsters. So that's the mystery you guys are supposed to solve. In the Tiamat campaign my players uh, and I decided to to basically bust this module wide open and do a lot of more stuff inside the module. It's not only about stopping Tiamat, it's also about finding out about dying gods, the blood wars that are very important in Faerun lore, the wars between Mm -hmm. uh, devils and demons in the lower planes which are uh, heavily weaved into the story as well because Tiamat in this instance is the prime protector of the nine hells of the first level of the nine hells resurrecting her and pulling her from the nine hells that might result in something different for those blood wars oh
1: yeah that's an interesting thing then
0: again i have this tournament arc we're in right now my players are in water deep and i basically gave them a lot of downtime now to reiterate all their information look at it cluster it and find out what they can tell to whom like the last two months of sessions were just them getting information and fighting and surviving now it's more about what to do with that information we got and how do we use it and what do we tell which and how can we influence the politics because they realize they are not strong enough to destroy this cult they need help from organizations like the order of the gauntlet the harpers the flaming fists the house of heroes and stuff like that but they also need rich influence uh, influencers no we're not talking about youtubers and tiktokers i'm talking about uh, diplomats lords ladies kings queens all that stuff
1: people have the power to amass a
0: huge army in case it's needed yeah or huge wealth they are trying right now to get magic items they can use to destroy the cult like items that prevent charm effects items that can slay dragons items that can protect you from fire acid or whatever yeah. damage type a dragon does those are items they're trying to acquire right now and now the fun thing is they don't have the money or the means to get these items they need help how do they get that? that's something fun so talking about this how much do i improv and like I do this improv because it works mm-hmm. with this group. This is simple, but you always have to find the way to improv with your view. You. you always have to find a common common denominator on where everyone is at the level that they enjoy it. There is something like doing too much improv for some people. There is something that not enough improv. There's always the right amount of level for the table, and that's the table you need to find. That's that that's the level you need to find for the table, or you need to find another table for you. If that's not your level of improv, that's fine that's okay no hard feelings there at least for me as the dm when you go is saying this is not the game i want to play exactly also i found that level at being i think 40 percent planning 60 percent improv yeah
1: sounds about right for me same for you yeah something like uh, something along those lines depending on the group i'm fine mm-hmm. either way but um yeah. around 50 50 plus minus 10 percent on each side depending on the group
0: also depending on the session right if i exactly if i have a big political sessions i plan a lot more than if i know that it's just gonna be them running around the city buying stuff talking to simple people but if it's diplomatic meeting i yeah. plan what that diplomat actually wants from them and what information they can give to them Obviously. That's a lot more planning. So we're talking now about planning improv, right? Because we do a lot of, I told a lot about that I do planning to support my improv. So can you actually prepare improv?
1: I think you can prepare most of improv you gotta do. What you cannot prepare for improv, because that would be preparation again, is you have an NPC, you lay down everything from the accent to the looks, blah, 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 blah. All that would be preparation. But for example, you can improv minor NPCs with, for example, random tables. You can improv the race, the hairstyle, the looks, and all that for minor NPCs, I think is pretty mm-hmm. more or, or more or less easy to do. For major plot relevant NPCs, you need some sort of personality and you have a clear picture in mind so you have to write that down beforehand. Improvising major story and important NPCs is pretty hard, I think.
0: Yeah. I have a question for you to intersect real quick with that. Do you have standards? Like I have if I don't have a, a smith, they can go to. It's always a dwarf for me. I yeah. Don't, it it could be that that's that's maybe a little bit unfair for dwarves because i
1: think that but dwarves are the dudes in the mountains with the (laughs) metals of course it is man stereotypes are there for a reason
0: stereotypes yoohoo no it's always this little rugged dwarf blackbeard a little bit grumpy that's my go-to blacksmith if i if i get out of the blue question's Can I go to a blacksmith? I think, okay, yeah, there is one. It's a dwarf. And have fun with it. It's simple. It works. And my players know it. They know it's a dwarf. They know it's simple. Sometimes I change that up, right? Sometimes I say, no, it's a half-elf.
1: Sometimes it's a halfling. Yeah, but these standards, I got them too. For example, uh, staying at the smithy example. Mm -hmm. For me, it's also a dwarf, but not that young anymore. He's an older dude, buff as hell, grumpy some scars along the face gray beard battle worn maybe and just hammering about sometimes i like mm-hmm. to add a spice of little burn marks when he wasn't training for being a smith and so on and so forth yeah but yeah, yeah. Now, uh, for example, um, herbalists are always some sort of elven woman. El- elderly, el- <laughs> elderly elven women are my herbalists in general.
0: <laughs> like, I would advise anyone to, to get these standards down. And they can be whatever you want. It don't have to be the stereotypes of the of the dwarven smith or the elven herbalist. You can also have the, the dwarven herbalist for your games. But it's, it's a standard answer to increase your improv speed. Exactly. You have the stereotype down and it's simple and for example my players don't mind every second smith they come across is a dwarf yeah. they don't f- they also don't find it funny like it's not something like we do for comic relief or oh, every smith is a dwarf it's just a simple standard that we agreed to that's simple that everyone understands and is okay with.
1: What I like to use um, for library keepers and lore keepers is always some Gnomes or halflings? Dragonborns for me. Ah, damn. Okay, in my my no homebrew world it's a little difficult because there are no dragons born so I have to find a new Ah. stereotype but... In general, ah, okay. if there is a bookstore or something, like a big library, and the headmaster of that library or the store owner is always some sort of dragonborn.
0: In my homebrew setting, there is a dragonborn nation that is basically a very, very Asian-inspired nation. Mm-hmm. Basically, you think about the shogun era of Japan. Mm-hmm. Those are dragonborns for me in my homebrew setting. Very nice. So they are mostly traditional sword-fighting masters. Mm-hmm. Like, they are the ones you meet at the sword sword fighting school they're not not heavily in the army per se they are not generals but they are basically the masters of their craft yeah in my setting always because they they have a craft and they perfect it. that's that's dragonborns for me Mm -hmm. in my setting the original dragonborns in my setting so coming back to the can you prepare in prof yeah we, we talked about, we have descriptions, right? Yeah. We have prepared descriptions in our head that we can improv on. Exactly. Simple standards, simple descriptions that help us improv that NPC. Also helping is the information that NPC has for the players if they have some. Yeah. Like if they're a shopkeep, the prices they have. I have not, not necessarily a price list, but I have a general understanding of this store is not expensive. This store is very cheap. Yeah making the quality maybe a little bad but it's cheap my players don't have to pay much and then i just blurt out a random number of silver or copper coins and my players are mostly fine with it yeah and if there is them saying well that's a little bit expensive in my opinion then i can look up still standard prices on the internet or in a price list that i have on my pc
1: mm. what i what i like to use in that regard is having some sort of magic shop selling magic items have a broad price range for the rarity of the item in head in my head and then adjusting it to the availability not just obviously a rarer item is not that available but there are differences in availability between rare and unrare in the rare item category if you know what i mean some rare items are more available than others that's what i'm trying to say the problem with
0: that for me is magic item shops i have are always planned because magic items in my homebrew setting are heavily regulated Mm -hmm. since magic in that setting is controlled chaos those weapons are weapons of chaos yeah understandable they can the magic inside it could be used to make something way more sinister than the weapon actually is yeah i see so that's where electron pieces in D, for for example come in for me mm-hmm. you can only buy magic items with electron pieces that's interesting maybe i'll implement that and electron pieces are only granted by the bank to those that have a permit for that for for owning electron mm-hmm. pieces
1: that's interesting
0: I think I'm gonna steal that makes it also very interesting with black markets oh yeah since magic items are heavily regulated and electron pieces are heavily re- heavily regulated the black market is booming on electron pieces and magic items
1: yeah I have to experiment more with black markets I haven't touched that in a while
0: that approach is not mine though I will say that that's by Dale Kingsmell on YouTube I saw a video by them about that and I used it and, and I've adapted it quite a bit to, to my setting mm. but that's way too much of a deep dive uh, right now to talk about this black market system I have yeah anything else do you prepare for improv or how you can prepare. you getting better at improv, or oh, getting better improv.
1: What I like to use is looking at random tables or the hundred tables. For example, for NPC looks, or magic items, or artifacts, or art pieces, or stuff like that. There are several internet uh, sites where you can look those up. One I like to use a lot is Donjon.bin.sh, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know the dungeon is, think- I think, fine, everyone knows this.
1: Yeah, um, and I like to use it, for example, even for taverns, when they come into a city and I haven't prepared the whole city. So they obviously, the first stop in every city is mostly a tavern. So if I don't have anything prepared, I just go onto that internet site and click on the tavern. They give you a description, a barkeep, and their classic or their standard menu with drinks and food, and a description of the place itself, e- uh, from the outside and from the inside, and you can p- uh, state what type of patrons there are if they are adventurers or villagers or if it's a poor common or expensive inn, and stuff like that and if you use them enough or have used them a lot of times you have a bank or a pool of for example taverns which you can use mm-hmm. so in general I like to use those random tables the hundred tables or stuff like that look it up and pick my favorites out of them and then I have a pool of things I can throw at my players for example
0: yeah that's a good way to use random tables I think to basically have a backlog of information to then throw into the game if you need them because you didn't plan for this and right now are a little bit blank on improv.
1: Yeah, especially on some flavor and spice things. If you say... Mm-hmm. For example, they want to visit an art museum. In general, no DM will prepare any art museums. As long as the players didn't say it the session before. Exactly. But players are players and say, hey, um, we have a little downtime. I want to go to an art museum. What do I find there? And then you have your art piece, a random table which you dissected and sort your favorite things out. And then you can just sprinkle them in where you want uh, mm-hmm. and say, yeah, there's mm-hmm. a statue of, for example, Tiamat or...
0: <laughs> oh, yes.
1: yeah or the platinum dragon or um, a painting of the monarch or something like that I like that
0: I have a different thing with random tables mm-hmm. because I use them a little bit like you but also differently mm-hmm. Because if I have to prepare... Like, this is not improv, right? If I have to prepare something, I go to random tables and click until I find something that gives me an idea.
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll do that too.
0: I have an NPC, a Dragonborn. Okay, I go to the fantasy name generator list, hmm. because those are amazing. Oh, yeah. Everyone should use this website. Oh, yeah. I seriously hope that they are still working on that website, because I think it has a lot of more potential than it has right now. But it works great for what it, what it does for me, but I think it can be better. But this could also be me being a systems engineer and software engineer that wants to make something better every time to improve it yeah no but i use these like i need a dragonborn name okay click no name click 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 oh that name yeah but i change around these letters add this one cut this end. yeah oh i have a perfect name now that's something i use random tables for that's not improv right but i think for improv what you said is basically true uh true for me as well it works having a list of stuff you can use to again make your improv a little bit speedier because i think a lot of stuff in improv is getting faster at it mm-hmm. and yeah getting better at it like at the beginning you have two components to to improv speed and the quality yeah and basically to the, together this creates a graph if you, the speedier you normally get maybe the worse your improv gets if you have to throw something out quick you don't have time to think about it you need to get better at this ratio of speed and quality yeah and basically having an idea written down already that you can just use as a basis that you can then improv on makes the speed part way more quicker
1: yeah and regarding that because we ch- uh, talked a lot about what what we can prepare to improv. And I think for both of us we DM'd a lot over the years and I think our improv style or improv amount changed a lot. How was it for you?
0: Yes, it changed. It changed a lot. At the beginning, I planned basically everything Mm -hmm. because I, as the DM, had the fear of not being prepared. I think a lot of DMs have that fear at the beginning,
1: not being prepared.
0: And like, yeah, that's totally fine. That fear is totally acceptable and fine. And I can only, like the only advice I can ever give to new DMs is just keep going. Don't care about that fear like you don't have to to go against this fear full force like if you have a fear of not being good at improv and being not prepared then prepare what you want to what you need to prepare and take little steps down so you get better at it right yeah yeah i did way more planning early on and i did get way more comfortable with it because i felt like it became too much to prepare Mm -hmm. the sessions because i basically made a decision tree for every session they start here, they can go this way, this way or this way. And then I had three strengths I needed to talk about.
1: Yeah, and this splits out even more and...
0: That became too much. And yeah, that's the problem of... Not the problem, but that's the thing of having giving players this freedom to play they they will choose actions you can't prepare for exactly so prepare more in general the information that they need from a scene how they get it is not that important as long as it feels rewarding to them you did your job in giving them that information correctly
1: yeah And one thing that changed for me in improv over the years is at first i already Uh, like you said, planned a lot and planned everything and felt totally lost when they didn't go the way I expected them or wanted them to go. So I just moved the objective where they should go to the spot where they went. That's a little weird. And it felt not that good great so i tried to change it and it just felt weird to disregard everything i had prepared but i don't have to cancel that i don't have to cross that out which then slowly came to my mind i just can can put it on pause and if they decide to go there later i can just pull on that information i just had to let go of the fear of yeah uh, i don't know what to do i don't know what to do because you will you just need time the more you play the better you get at it and don't have to worry about, yeah, I have prepared this whole castle, but they didn't went to that castle. They went to the fishing village. So you just the thing I did more than is prepare the world as a whole at the, the earlier on the better. Because if you know everything about your world, they can't really surprise you with things that you don't have prepared.
0: You get more comfortable with it again. It's it's, it's a lot of com- comfortability. I will now put a new verb out there, Make mcguffingen
1: mcguffingen
0: yeah you know what a mcguffin is right it's just an object that's there that has that like it's just an object like a, like a case in the hell of a boss one shot we played mm-hmm. this case it was just that it was just the case for you guys to follow it was just important to sorry because it was a case yeah it wasn't very important what it actually did and that's what you did with that. You placed that object somewhere else, right? And it fell out of place. Yeah. Um, yeah, the thing is, you, you had this object prepared, you placed somewhere else, and it felt out of place there because it wasn't prepared for that place. Exactly. Instead of, now probably, instead of building that object and placing it somewhere else, you only place what that object provides mm-hmm. and place it somewhere else and something else that fits. For example, if your players are supposed, like you, have in your mind a plan a little plan they're supposed to get the sword right from the dungeons but they don't and then they need the sword before they can go to somewhere you could just say they don't have the sword that's totally fine that's that's okay that's
1: that's a mindset that's a mindset i had to hammer into my mind to say yeah if they don't follow up on the clues and hints i give them
0: don't show the stuff after them
1: exactly they it's totally fine if they don't but yeah You have to give them the agency to say, yeah, we disregard that and go somewhere else. That's But that's a hard thing.
0: To your example with the fishing village and the castle, Mm -hmm. that's something to to new DMs that could be quite scary. Yeah. Right now, my first guess, I wouldn't say veteran DM, but as an experienced GM would just be, well, the fishes in the village talk about the castle a lot. The lord in that castle owns this fishing village and is a dick to them and they complain about him and your players then might pick up on this castle the castle is important the castle is important so a fisher in the village tasks the players with going to the castle basically demanding from the lord like the lord took the daughter from from the fisher right yeah, and now you he tasks the players with getting the daughter back now the players have a quest now you can redirect them to the castle where you want them to go in your story so this is a very good thing if your players go off track just gently push them back into the direction where they want to go you can also hard push them but it should feel natural to them at least in some ways
1: exactly throw more signs at them this is where the main plot is progressing if you want to go there please do it
0: and this is also again McGuffin you, you have this door which is just a tool for you to get your players to go somewhere exactly it's just a tool your players can follow it's just a tool like the daughter is there right it's just the daughter but the daughter isn't important to the story what important is to the story that your players followed the daughter
1: and go to the castle where the main story will progress
0: exactly so mcguffing for me is just the world of basically using an object as something in the story and <laughs> your players interacting with that object it may sound it, it sounds completely weird because i'm not good at words but <laughs> you have this object and your play, players can do a lot of stuff with it they can ignore it they can go after it but you have this object and you can basically move it around but don't move it out of place but also you have you can, you can introduce a new object to get your players back on track
1: yeah introduce new objects that point towards the main object that you want them to follow not using or not taking the main object away from its designated place because then it just feels weird but Mm -hmm. introduce little things for example coming back to the fishing village if the lord in the castle is a tyrant you could say the whole fishing village is burned down when you came came there and you find torn off and ripped off insignias or pieces of a flag leading to the lord of the castle yeah That's nice. Something like that. And then you can, depending on how hard you want to push them in that direction, you have to... Link it somewhat to the player characters and how they would act. I think.
0: Yeah, obviously, if if your player characters see, yeah, if they see a burnt down village, a burnt down village, and and they normally don't react to those, like we need to avenge these people or help these people, then a burnt down village will won't do any good for you except for world building. But what I wanted to say is also that object you have. <laughs> yeah. Coming back to the MacGuffin, that object, that sword, for example, has some properties. You can also put that properties maybe into something else. Like you have a blade that is supposed to be a blade that opens a dungeon. Yeah. But now you have this blade somewhere else. Make it a ring that someone wears that is the son of an old adventurer. Like you, you don't have to put the blade that is that you would have found at that dungeon now into the hands of a simple fisher. But you could put the ring from his mother, that is the wife of an adventurer that has been in that dungeon, yeah. as the new key object.
1: Exactly. Then reverting the main object you had in mind first to somewhat of a red herring, maybe. So you think about the properties or the thing that this object uh, needs to provide. If they go somewhere else, but you need them to do, or you need them to get this item, you can pick the properties from that main item to a different one and then make it that the rumors or the sayings about this specific item were just that. Rumors, but the item where is actually something else.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. That also is now we're bo- already in the topic of flexibility, right? We talked a lot about of different opportunities. That is, like, now if you if, if you now go back to, like, 10 minutes ago where we had, where we started this discussion about these items and ways you can go and play that back, that is basically describing what improv looks like in the game. Not knowing which path to go, but thinking about the different path and then going on to one of them. Like, basically now you can, going back that discussion, hearing it again, choose one of the path we described and that's your path you improv that's improv that is what improv is there for that's why we do it because you have a lot of flexibility you can react to player actions yeah that gives you as the dm and your players freedom in the world you can move around you can play with it
1: and it gives the players a feeling of agency and a real feeling of having a bigger impact than they even got already because they all feel like isn't you move everything in their path for the story to follow but regarding their actions it has an impact on the story for the good or bad for good or worse
0: Yeah, nothing feels out of place. They can go wherever they please and do what they want to do there. And still drive the story forward. Like, what I hate is when my DMs lead me down a dead end. Like I can understand why they're sometimes important to the story, but if there's only one way to go and the characters wouldn't take that path because of character personalities, because of discussions they have had, then you need to change that path. You need to adapt to your players. Don't be set in your plan. And if like in a dungeon, if I go to a right and there's a dead end there, then that's okay. That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm talking about is that none of my actions seem to lead to something. Even if it's failure in something. Even if I don't make it in time to the courtroom to appeal to the queen that my friend is innocent. That is in some ways fine, but...
1: Yeah, because this can lead to an incentive for you for... If something like this happens again, you will act on it more quickly. It gives you opportunities again.
0: Yeah, exactly. The problem is just that I hate if DMs don't give me the freedom I, as a living being in this world, should deserve. Yeah. Like, I don't want you to break the laws of physics of your world for me. If I can't travel at light speed, that's not what I'm asking again, right? It's just, let me, let my actions have consequences. Let me feel those consequences. Yeah. Don't just say, this was a no-go, this didn't work.
1: Coming back to the example where you have to appeal to the queen that your friend is innocent. If you are in a city three days of travel away from where you would have to appeal Mm. and your friend will be executed in five days, then you have enough time to get there. If you decide, yo, I want to go in that inn, I want to play there, I want to do this, I want to do that, and then don't make it in those four and a half to five days, that's on you. But if you get the message that your friend will be executed in two days and you have three days of travel ahead of you, (sighs) there's not much you can do. And that's just, it can be a plot point as well, but you know what I mean.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. It is a plot point, basically finding a way to get there quicker, like a flying carpet, teleportation, whatever, right? but also again if you're a dm that gives me this information with knowing full way that i have no way of getting there and also just saying no to every plan i come up with then you just wanted me to fail and that does not work improv also provides for me a lot of prep time reduce if i know i can improv this npc's talk with the players i don't have to prep that much for it it reduces the prep time i have and makes the time i have for prepping more effective yeah. I can do a lot more prep in the time I take for prep because I have to prep less minor, simple stuff that I can improv.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I think improv as well provides a way more diverse or different stories. Because if you plan your session, you have one mindset and one way of thinking about it. But if you improv or if your players do something else, they have four mindsets coming to one conclusion, which you might not even have thought of in a 100 years. And that can lead to very interesting different and memorable sessions.
0: There are a lot of things that you as a DM can plan for and those things are not just for fun. Those things are for, like they're not for funsies. Your players don't come to the table making decisions of their characters that may sound weird at first just because it's fun. They make these decisions because they think their character would make these decisions in these in situations. So roll with it. Rolling with the improv your players give you. So we talked about improv from a DM perspective because, well, with Double DM we talk about dm perspectives right of things what's the difference between dm improv and player improv for you
1: mostly the dm has to improv a lot of information mostly Mm -hmm. about places people objects motivations and stuff like that that's hard but players have to improv their reactions to those information they get mm. because they cannot plan anything because they don't know everything about the world you do as a dm you know what i mean right yeah,
0: yeah i know what you mean yeah the, imp- the dm has to improv a lot of information and players have to improv on that information but the dm also has to improv on the information the players provide with their actions
1: exactly it's interlocking and overlapping a lot those two things.
0: Like the improv is the same. You both do improv based on information, right? But the DM has to do a lot more improv out of the moment improvising the path you take
1: and the players inter uh, improv the actions they are going to take mostly is it, if it's talking or fighting or hiding or raiding or looting or stuff like that that's just the improv your players do on the information that you give them which then leads to new prompts for you which you can use for new information to give them which lead them to new prompts for actions they can take and so on and so forth
0: so how did you get better at improv yourself
1: yeah that's practice 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 basically but you have to start small you can't just say yeah all right i'm just gonna improve a whole uh, world and a whole session right now that's well if
0: you can do that you can do like there are improv actors right they can they can probably do that yeah but
1: they didn't start that way yeah exactly they started small except me because i'm the master of the space yeah (laughs) probably the first step you want to take is improv minor npc first for example they go to a tavern you have prepared all the taverns and stuff like that but then just leave out the bartender and then improv that or improv their accent try small
0: yeah Try, try the simple NPC that's only there to give your players food, that only asks what you want. Okay, I can get you that that, that pork stew. Yeah.
1: First, for example, try making up their appearance. Then you can go deeper with a little accent. Then you can suddenly improv the whole menu and so on and so forth. Then you can improv the interior design, the exterior design. And suddenly building up on that, you probably will do improvise a, a whole city sooner or later. At some point
0: yeah just take your time i've once got the advice that i think is one of the best advice i ever got for ttrpgs that's if you feel weird doing it you're doing it right don't stop basically meaning if you feel weird playing your character that means you're playing a character you're not playing yourself anymore you are doing what you are supposed to do don't stop it like it is totally okay to feel uncomfortable at first playing that character the character is not you 100 it can be but the point is that character is not you 100 of the way maybe some things are projected onto that character from you but generally that character is not you so playing that personality should not feel to you like second nature at first there needs to be some sort of divide of this is my character this is me and if you go over that threshold you will feel maybe a little weird and not uncomfortable just not right
1: because it's not you
0: that exactly that feeling is something you need to get a little bit comfortable with and you will get comfortable with if you do it
1: and one thing i like to do is to practice obviously but in and out of game if i want to get more into improvisation because you can obviously say yeah today i'll do more improvisation so please bear with me if something isn't according to before or something like that or it may take some time just talk to your players and then start improv and out of game, you can start writing stories, for example. Or there's a game with some dice, because we all like dice here, right? It's called, I think, story cubes or so. You have four little D6s with different pictures on it. You roll them and then you have to tell a story about them, regarding five pictures on the dice. That can help you improvise in d d even more. That could be very interesting to
0: play a game with those four dice, like making the story up for your game. What I want to say here is very important. Don't think you need improv for your games don't think it's a necessity to play the game good to, or to have fun with it play your style you are not doing it wrong if you don't improv as much as people on the internet or wherever tell you to do do it the way you are comfortable with and it's gonna be fun and fine
1: yeah but trust me try it at least once
0: yeah i'm a guy that says try everything at least once in some way just try small steps and if you don't like it go back and try again in in six sessions again just take it easy you are doing these games for fun have fun the way you want
1: to have fun and one thing that helps you improvising make improvising easier for you in the moment is slow the players down so you have more time to think about stuff that's pretty important especially for beginner improv people improv dms yeah improv dms yeah so um for example you can put little artifacts a dungeon hallway which they can talk about and make them make history checks or stuff like that let them talk about what they see so you have more time to prepare what's coming ahead so you have time to prepare the room or so during the session
0: yeah that's good advice so last thing we need to talk about is getting players as a dm better at improv how do you as a dm get your players to do a little bit more improv
1: firstly you could tell them to do so tell them yeah let's try maybe if you want to try it let's try some more improvisation i have something bad and i won't tell you what it is right now you know what i mean yeah so they the players don't have a chance to plan for a whole downtime between sessions.
0: Kinda. I think you can tell your players, for example, if you have one player that's a little bit shy on improv and isn't talking very much, as as long as they don't know what to talk about. So, basically, um, you could tell them that something is coming up where they might shine, so they can mentally prepare for that moment and don't miss this moment. So, you can tell them, hey, there's a moment coming up. You don't tell them what moment is coming up or when it's coming up. Just that there is a moment coming up where they can shine easily like you can build the anticipation for that moment so that when they are in that moment they feel that they are the one that's needed for this challenge like a ranger is needed to track enemies or something through the woods that's good and that can be very good combined with backstory chunks giving your players something from their backstories or something that is personal to their characters making this very interesting telling them hey there is maybe something a a little bit of your backstory coming up. Watch out for that. And then wondering okay what's coming up. When the backstory then comes up they are not surprised. They are not taken aback by this and can act on that. That's very helpful for me giving my players something to make them more comfortable with playing their characters and therefore improv. Because I think improv comes a lot more easier to players because they only have to improv their one character. Mm-hmm. So making them comfortable with the character is a little bit the same as gi- making them com- more comfortable at improv
1: yeah uh, one thing what improv provi- uh, provides is if you improv more you usually as a player role play more i have experienced that
0: well improv is the only role play right
1: <laughs> exactly that's the reason you talk more as your character and not yeah my character says that and that you are in the moment and playing your character right now that helps a lot is i just thought of that and i think coming back to how to get your players to act better at improv is giving them clear challenges that can be overcome for example they are locked in a cell they ask you can I break the bars open and you as a DM say no but the guard is uh, fell asleep right before the cells and it may look like you could reach the keys from here what do you do giving them clear obstacles that can be relatively easily overcome but still making it clear this is an obstacle which is not obsolete or just can be disregarded
0: giving them again a feeling of freedom being able to do something and not just having to wait for your plan to go so even if like if they are in the cell locked and the bard with a strength of eight says can i break the bars the barbarian with a strength of 18 that hadn't thought of this could be either asked by the bard hey can you break this which is improv and role play or the barbarian player can say hey wait 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 let me try to break the bars and then you can say okay well the barbarian is strong you can at least try giving them this clear challenge of getting out of the prison cell and basically providing a simple path there but not necessarily just shutting down every other plan again like we talked but having these clear cut challenges that they can overcome very easily with a lot of simple steps breaking the bars reaching
1: the keys yeah the most memorable sentence from a dm regard that and regarding improv would be you can most certainly try
0: yeah you can most certainly try
1: it can frighten players at times because it sounds like a hard thing to do but it isn't meant by that i think in most
0: that's the thing of this quote right it, it's always memed as if, you, if a DM says that players are supposed to be scared. Sometimes they should be. Sometimes it's really just the DM saying yes and.
1: You can, of course, you can try to steal the uh, wedding ring of the monarch, but you can most certainly try, but this will not be easy. This is something where they should be scared stealing wedding ring of a fucking monarch in the room with all his guards yes but yes and
0: yes you can and there are guards what do you do about them like and i think a lot of thing is uh, again getting players away from the thinking of failing at something there is no real clear-cut failing yes you can fail a skill check that's a die roll you can fail that you can't fail at character play at improv and there is no failing and you need to take this away either with the clear-cut challenges that are very easily overcome but just where the players have to make up the idea of how to overcome it and then the overcoming is easy or making it very clear to them that there is no winning in this game or that or and that therefore are no wrong actions to take for example in combat for me i have noticed that a lot of new players are scared of combat for in my games because they feel like if they don't deal enough damage in the one turn their turn wasn't quite effective and I always tell them that damage is just one way of measuring a combat effectiveness let's say you're in a gunfight in a wild western tavern or wild western bar and there's a shootout and your character decides because you can't shoot good because you're drunk or something or you're a kid that can't shoot a gun throwing over a table taking cover and getting a strategic position might not look effective by numbers at first but can provide a long-term effectiveness that is way more usable than the damage because now the cowboy that you partnered up with can hide behind that table and basically shoot freely at this enemy without taking any damage surviving
1: the fight and winning it's it. the same yes and approach for that you can use it in combat take your actions to either make you shine or take your actions to give other players the spotlight or a different thing like i want to infiltrate that castle says the rogue sure yes says the wizard and because it's hard and it's heavily guarded i'll give you invisibility then the Ranger says yes and because it is dark and you don't have dark vision I'll come with you and be your eyes and stuff like that.
0: Like a lot of for example spells in d d that don't have damage don't get used in combat even if they have a casting time of one action. But let me tell you if you can get an invisibility spell off in combat that breaks combat. If you can make someone invisible in combat and they are unseen, that makes com- that makes your turn as the wizard casting that spell maybe not effective damage wise, but makes the rogue's turn that gets a natural 20 because of that invisibility because sneaking up on the monster and stuff like that and all these things they can do with that makes that turn double as effective. Your turn, your turn itself was more effective than you casting fireball. So a lot of stuff is there is no clear-cut Winning. There is no failing in this game. Die rolls can fail. Yes, but it's die rolls. They can fail and it's okay. The thing about it is that you as a person can never fail. There is no f- like you as the player cannot fail. Yes your character can fail but you as a player can never do really something wrong or not good because there is no such thing as not good actions you can take.
1: As long as you're having fun you won the game so but winning the game yeah. of D&D or TTRPGs is a little weird to say because there is no winning or there is no such thing as win or lose because you just are crafting a story together as long as you're having fun you uh, you did everything that you're supposed to do
0: yeah that's completely correct (laughs) so to summarize this real quick We talked about improv today. We talked a lot about uh, how our improv changed over the years, that we came from a way more planning to way more improv or more balancing the scales. We talked about what improv provides, where it provides flexibility, freedom and a feeling of agency to players. We talked about our opinions on the differences of DM and player improv and also a lot on how you as a person can get better at improv in small easy steps for you. So you take this your pace and your pace alone, that's the correct way. And advice on getting players better at improv, giving them a little bit of information extra that they might need to better improv, taking away their fear of failure and making it easy for them to see where they can easily overcome a challenge and improv that. Yeah, that's basically what we talked about today. So we hope you enjoyed this episode of Double DM Podcast. When we talked about improvisation, we have a Twitter account uh, at double dm pod. We also have an Instagram that's the same ad at double dm pod. Follow us on Spotify, rate us on Apple Podcast if you like. We highly appreciate the support. Thank you for listening. Hear you on the next one. Bye bye. Bye bye.